0: Thanks for listening to the Goop Podcast, made possible by our friends at Kohler. Like many of you, I'm cooking almost all my meals at home these days. I have recommitted to the kitchen, which I love. There's something very meditative to me about chopping. I've also been working with our food editor, Caitlin, on stories that share the recipes, tools, and shortcuts that we've come across during this time. One kitchen upgrade from the team at Kohler is a touchless kitchen faucet. It's completely hands-free, so you can speed through cooking and cleaning up. Of course, if you're washing your hands, you still wanna scrub for at least 20 seconds, but you never have to touch the faucet in the process. Beyond their smart faucets, Kohler has created a wide range of kitchen and bath products. They make cleaning easier and they deliver on the clean feeling you want at home. You can explore their whole collection at kohler.com clean.
1: When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah, <laughs> did you hear about that? <laughs> I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In a sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive, on the one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled.
0: I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast. Bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. Today's guest is Dr. Mark Hyman. Mark is the head of strategy and innovation for the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine. He's also the founder and director of the Ultra Wellness Center in Massachusetts, and he's a New York Times bestselling author. Mark's latest book is called Food Fix, How to Save Our Health, Our Economy, Our Communities, and Our Planet, One Bite at a Time. For Mark, the journey to functional medicine was a personal one. When doctors couldn't find a way to cure his mercury poisoning and chronic fatigue syndrome, he turned to a then-radical modality, food as medicine. Mark explains what can happen to the body when we eat highly processed foods, everything from dementia to infertility, and equally the kind of dramatic changes we see when we eat whole, real foods. They work like a drug, he says, turning on good genes, reducing inflammation, affecting brain chemistry and hormones. It was fascinating to sit down with Mark and learn about how he's working to change our food system on a global scale.
1: The economic imperatives are so great that people are going to have to act, not because it's morally right or because they want people to be healthy, but because governments around the world, especially this government, is crippling itself under the burden of chronic disease caused by food and through Medicare, Medicaid, and all the other things. And, and, And these big companies are starting to realize that they need to change.
0: Let's get to my chat with Dr. Mark Hyman. You've talked a lot about your journey into integrative medicine and and how it started, as it does with most people, with a healing crisis of your own. I know a lot. I think almost every functional MD I know was in medical school or already a doctor and was beset with something that they couldn't figure out or cure or something chronic. And that kind of expanded the boundaries of what they thought was possible with medicine and be began them on their functional medicine journey. So will you just tell me a little bit about that process for you yeah. just in terms of, was it, did it go against everything that you had learned
1: Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) So actually, it's an interesting story for me because I was always interested in health. I was a vegetarian since I was 15. I had studied yoga and was a yoga teacher before I was a doctor. I studied Buddhism. and I I never was interested in medicine at all. And uh, I moved in a house with a guy who was a PhD in nutrition at Cornell, and he gave me a book called Nutrition Against Disease, which was just fascinating to me about the power of food to cause and cure so much chronic illness. And I said, you know, I didn't want to be a monk. So I'm like, well, I want to do something that is in service of people. So I'm going to become a doctor. And if I don't like it, I'll quit. But I'll try it. (laughs) And it worked out. And I got totally brainwashed. Totally brainwashed. I still always try to eat healthy, did yoga, and took care of myself and ran. But I I got brainwashed in the medical paradigm that everything I learned in medical school was true. And if I didn't learn in medical school, it wasn't scientific or it was irrelevant. And I, I became a very good conventional doctor, family doctor, I worked in Idaho, seeing you know, everything. And then I got sick. I went to China and got mercury poisoning, which I didn't know until I came back, and my whole system broke down. I got chronic fatigue syndrome, I had severe cognitive impairment, couldn't focus, think, I had severe muscle pain all the time, my digestion wasn't working, I developed rashes, and my whole system just was not working. And I learned that chronic fatigue syndrome in medical school was sort of an emotional, psychological problem. Like a bullshit
0: thing, right? Kind of, <laughs> like
1: kind of whiners who didn't really want to work. And I was like, you know, type triple A personality. Right. And I and I knew that wasn't true. I was like, I felt like crap. And I you know, didn't know what was going on. So I went to doctor after doctor, Harvard, Columbia. I went here and there. And this is what year? 1996.
0: And nobody at this point is saying, let's do a blood panel and check for... What might be happening?
1: Well, they did, but they—they they, you know—they look in the wrong places, right? right? So, so what so, are they looking for? Well, they just were looking for was there a pathology? They wanted you know muscle testing for you know my my because I had all these fasciculations and I thought I was getting ALS and my. But everybody, they, they did a colonoscopy, and they said, you know, you have irritable bowel syndrome, and like, so they, they were doing various tests, but they weren't the right tests, because in traditional medicine, we tend to look where we're used to looking, not where the money is. You know, it's like the joke of the guy who's looking for his keys under this lamppost, and this friend comes by and goes, why are you looking, what are you doing? He says, I'm looking for my keys. He says, where'd you drop them? He says, I dropped them down the street. He said, why are you looking over here? He says, the light's better. <laughs> and I think that's what we do in medicine, instead of really saying, well, what is the cause? So traditional medicine is mostly focused on understanding how to name diseases based on people's symptoms, not based on the causes. And functional medicine is an approach that looks at the root cause of disease and understands how everything is connected in the body, right? So I had stomach issues, I had muscle issues, I had cognitive issues, I had rashes, skin issues. So I was you know sorted around to all these different specialists, but everything's who connected. are looking at
0: that particular yeah, exactly. piece of pie and right that, and
1: everything's whole. connected in the body. Like it's not just you know you're a bunch of different organ parts and they have nothing to do with each other. And it's just common sense, but it's amazing how much we don't get that in medicine, right? And now we're now the microbiome is blowing up that paradigm, right? Because the microbiome, your gut bacteria, can cause depression or cancer or heart disease or autism or allergies or autoimmune disease. And, you know, you don't go to the rheumatologist with an autoimmune disease and they go, let me check your poop. Or you don't go to the cardiologist if you have a heart attack and go, let me check your poop. (laughs) They don't do that, but they should. And that's the future of medicine. So then I got really sick and searched and searched and searched. And I finally met this guy who was a student of Linus Pauling named Jeffrey Bland. He's a PhD nutritional biochemist who was a voracious reader of the science across disciplines and saw patterns in the science of these changes that were happening where the body is a system and I listened to him and I said, either this guy's crazy or he's a genius and I better figure out which one. So I started trying it on myself. I tried it on my patients and people would get better, you know, chronic migraines, autoimmune what diseases. What were you trying exactly? Diet. Food is medicine, you know, wonder, <laughs> imagine that. So, uh,
0: And this at the time seemed revolutionary Revolutionary, too. yeah.
1: No, I, you know, everybody knows that food can, if you eat too much, can make you fat. But other than that, you know, and maybe if you eat too much- Fat, it causes heart disease and cholesterol. But so that what was...
0: did he put you on? He said what? Eat well, what? He just, he just
1: laid out a paradigm of a different way the body works. And it's it's not exactly integrative medicine. It's not alternative medicine. It's actually a very deeply scientific approach to understanding systems thinking, systems biology. Mm-hmm. It's a, sort of like... Network. We call it network medicine. It's how everything is connected, and it and it allowed me to sort of have a different filter where I was looking at toxins, at my gut, my immune system, and my mitochondria, and all these different things that I never learned really how to apply in medicine. And I and I started trying it on myself. Started getting better. Trying my patients seeing these miracle cures, and I, I didn't even believe it at first. You know, these patients would call me after a few weeks I say how you doing well my migraines are gone I said they are all you did was change your diet or take magnesium or my autoimmune my arthritis is gone or my dementia is better or my autism got better or like whatever it was was like just sort of striking to me and and then I began to really dig into it because when you're sick you're desperate yeah and you want to learn and learn and learn now my brain wasn't working that well but I tried my best and I found I had mercury poisoning which then crippled my whole system from living in China and getting exposed to all the pollution there and I had to detoxify my body. I had to get rid of the metals. How did you fix do my that? Gut. So this was like, you know, this almost 30 years ago. And I, you know, the science then wasn't as developed as it is now. But I did, I did a lot of dietary things. I did chelation. I did saunas. I did intravenous nutrition like IB vitamin C and glutathione and all sorts of things that helped my body activate my healing mechanism. So functional medicine is the science of creating health. It's not so much about treating disease. Right. It's about it's about optimizing function in the body, which is what it's called functional medicine. <laughs> and it's so powerful across a spectrum of diseases that are chronic that we really suck at dealing with. Mm-hmm. And and you know it's 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 the biggest epidemic that we're facing globally, which kills 11 million people a year conservatively, which is bad food. And and uh, we're talking about a coronavirus and it's a scary thing and it's real. But the, the the scope and scale of what's happening now with food caused disease that's treatable and preventable and reversible with food is staggering. And it, it has to make us think about why we're doing this. Why do we have this food? And as a doctor sitting there seeing all these patients for 30 years, I'm like, well, I can get my patients better by food. Their disease is mostly caused by food. But then I was like, I could do this forever and it's not gonna make a difference. So I had to figure out why they're eating the food they're eating. Mm-hmm. And then I started looking at the food system and looking at the food policies and looking at why we have the policies, which is a lot of industry influence on the government. And I began to sort of go down this rabbit hole and realize that you know, we have a global crisis, right? Where it's a, it's, it's a disease crisis It affects six out of 10 Americans here it it it's a global crisis 80% of the developing of the disease in the developing world isn't malaria or tb or aids or infectious disease or diarrhea it's obesity and diabetes and chronic disease which is staggering and the economic impact is insane you know we're we're running out of money in this country from Spending on chronic disease, it's one out of five d- dollars in our economy. It's one out of three dollars in Medicare for diabetes. It's one out of three federal dollars of our taxpayer dollars goes for chronic illness. It'll be one in two within five years, and it'll keep going unless we stop and figure this out.
0: Yeah, I mean it's pretty overwhelming when you when you think about it. I think before, and I want to get into all of that, but I think I would I would love to understand what it was like for you as a young doctor who was healing yourself through these modalities or these, you know, that were kind of not considered, right. Right. So what was the reaction to you? Did you, and did you care? Did you, do you try to convince other doctors? Like, I'm just so curious about how. It it is
1: interesting. You know, I, I, you know, I, I actually worked at a place called Canyon Ranch. So I was lucky enough to get a job at this health resort and was able to sort of experiment with this approach with my patients because they had the resources, they were willing. I said, look, I don't know if this works, but it sounds good and nothing else is going to work for you. So let's just try this. And I said, I'm doing it with you. And They tried, and they got better, and I began to sort of see how powerful it was. And then, you know, I'd get resistance from their doctors, or I'd get get silence. You know, they'd get better, and then be like, silence, right? And then it began to change, and doctors began calling, and what did you do? How did this happen? How did you get better? And there's much more curiosity. So 25 years ago, it was really like there was just no conversations. (laughs) But now there's just an incredible amount of conversations. And even Cleveland Clinic, which is, you know, the second— hospital, a second-rated hospital in the, in the world after Mayo Clinic, invited me to start a functional medicine program there, which is radical. And the CEO got that this is the future of healthcare. This is the future of medicine. And so I see it starting to happen and there's mm. institutions all over the country and all over the world that are incorporating this as, as the future of what they're going to be doing.
0: Do you still get resistance from doctors? Of course.
1: I mean, of course, you know, there's a few and they're sometimes noisy and loud. But the truth is that most are, are open, interested, you know, at Cleveland Clinic, I would say there's probably like maybe 5% of very noisy people who oppose it. There's, you know, probably maybe 10 to 20% who are like, wow, this is amazing. I love this. And they, they sort of come out of the woodwork. Can I send my parents? Can I send my family? Can I send my friends? Can I come see you? And a lot of our patients are actually doctors <laughs> there at Cleveland Clinic. <laughs> and then there's like the group in the middle. It's like, yeah, I get medicines changing. Right. I get that our paradigm is broken. I get that what we're doing for chronic disease doesn't work. We're spending more and more money, getting worse outcomes with worsening disease burdens. I mean, we, we went, f- you know, from five percent obesity when I was born, to then it was twenty percent when I would, when I was in medical school. It was less than twenty percent. That was that wasn't that long ago, and now it's forty percent, and many it's more, and the average. Obesity rate in America is now 42 percent, according to data released last week. There's something called your body mass index, which is basically regulating your weight and your height, so you kind of get a normal. So, if like you're, you know, if you're a very tall guy, you're in your weight 250 pounds, well, that might not, you know might not be overweight. So it sort of equalizes for that. Right. So anything over 25 is considered overweight. 30 is obese, and over 40 is severely obese. And now one in 10 people are severely obese, and it's It's a, a staggering number, you know, when we see seventy five percent of our country overweight,
0: what do you think? I know there are a lot of contributing factors, you know, farming practices, certain pesticides, mm-hmm. certainly the amount that we process food and have corn syrup and many things, and psychology, trauma. like, what do you think is the are the biggest contributing factors to obesity?
1: I think it's pretty clear. The data is pretty clear. You know we we create an agricultural system after the war that was designed to produce an abundance of starchy calories to feed a hungry population world. And it was good intentioned. Yeah, But those same foods, those ultra processed foods that are made from refined flour, soybean oil, and high fructose corn syrup, and all the weird ingredients that are also processed from soy and corn that gets stuffed into these foods, that has now become 60% of our calories. So the the... The scale of this has just been because of the 60% of our diet that comes from these foods. And every every 10% of our diet that comes from these foods, our risk of death goes up by 14%. <laughs> and it's a lot of, of this, this abundance of cheap, starchy, sugary calories that is driving this obesity epidemic. And it got worse in the 80s and 90s when we said to eat low fat. Because we thought heart disease and obesity were caused by eating too much fat. Turns out that was bad advice. And, and in fact, the recommendation to eat 6 to 11 servings of rice, bread, cereal, and pasta every day was not such a good idea. Damn and it. Yeah, I know. Who doesn't love pasta and bread? But, but you know, the food industry responded and they created all these low-fat foods that replaced fat with sugar to make mm-hmm. it taste good. And that's really what led to this epidemic. It causes heart disease, cancer, diabetes, dementia, things like depression. And it's it's infertility. It affects one in seven couples. And sugar is one of the biggest drivers of infertility.
0: It's a good point because something that so many of my friends are – dealing with is infertility. Mm-hmm. My younger friends, obviously I'm, <laughs> I'm 47, so really? I'm in a different, <laughs> yeah.
1: Wow, I can't tell.
0: You know, and and there are many women here who work at Goop and it's obviously a real issue. So how how is, how is sugar or more broadly what we're eating impacting our fertility?
1: It's a huge impact. I mean, yes, environmental toxins are a factor, stress is a factor and so forth, but... The, the sugar and starch in our diet causes high levels of insulin, which then causes women to make too much estrogen and not enough progesterone and also causes high testosterone levels, and that screws up fertility. So one in seven couples is infertile in this country, and there's a great book written by a Harvard professor called The Fertility Diet, which it talks about the science behind infertility and food, and particularly sugar and starch, which is driving these pathways of insulin. So it affects Women's hormones in lots of other ways. You know, women get PMS and heavy bleeding and clots and, and all sorts of uh, issues besides just infertility. So sugar has an enormous effect on our hormones. And that's and
0: endocrine disruptors and
1: yeah. products. Well that's as it. Well. If you're eating, you know, pesticides in your food, if you're having even on your body care products, and you talk a lot about that. Yeah. Those have huge impact on on our hormones. They're called hormone mm-hmm. mimickers or endocrine disruptors. And it doesn't require a lot. They're, mm-hmm. they're a thousand times more potent than your own estrogen. And we often eat multiple compounds, not just one. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're synergistic. It's not just additive.
0: Can you tell us just briefly what happens in the body when we eat these hyper-processed huh. foods that then...
1: Yeah. Well, it's fascinating. So so any food, these kinds of foods that are highly refined and starchy, they, they enter your blood sugar very quickly. So it's, it's sugar and flour... Are synonymous. In fact, flour is a little worse than sugar in how it affects your blood sugar. Believe it or not, the the glycemic index, the the standard is a hundred is the is based on bread, how much it raises your blood sugar. sugar All
0: bread or uh, white. Refined. mostly white
1: bread but even whole wheat bread if it's not whole fully whole grain in other words if it's not made from coarsely ground grains or the whole grains like in germany you have to cut your bread with a meat slicer you can't use a <laughs> knife like that's okay my basic rule for bread is it can stand on it and it doesn't squish you can eat it <laughs> so um, if it, uh, and so the the amount of processing of these foods allows them to be absorbed rapidly And then they raise your insulin level, which is, you actually first raise your blood sugar, and then that causes insulin to go up. And insulin has a whole series of bad effects. When it's too much, it increases storage of belly fat, which is the dangerous fat that causes all these diseases. It makes you hungrier, so you eat more starch and sugar. It locks the fat in the fat cell so it can't get out like a one-way turnstile, and it actually drives your brain chemistry in a way that keeps you eating more and more and more. So it's it's uh, it, it slows your metabolism. So you get slow metabolism, you're hungrier, your fat gets locked in your fat cells, and it causes more storage of belly fat. And that cascade was causing all this pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes. I mean, one in two Americans has pre-diabetes or type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. And 75% are overweight, they probably have some degree of it. And there's a whole nother category of people that are called TOFI, not tofu, but toffee, <laughs> it's thin on the outside, fat on the inside. <laughs> and, and that means they may eat a lot of sugar and starch and they don't gain that much weight, but they get a lot of fat around their organs. And that organ fat causes inflammation, heart disease, diabetes. So they, they actually have an increased risk for diabetes and all kinds of other risk factors related to death, mm. including dementia, which is also being called type three diabetes now. So you can look thin if you eat crap and you say, well, I eat crap and I sugar and I'm not overweight. It's okay. It's not okay because of the harm it's doing to you. And then it drives inflammation and it drives all these secondary consequences. Mm. So the, the, the processed food has a negative effect on your microbiome. Right. So it, it causes bad bugs to grow. It why causes... does
0: it cause, why is it bad for your microbiome?
1: Well, think about it. You know, you're basically, you can, you can fertilize good bugs or bad bugs. You know, so bad bugs eat sugar, good bugs eat fiber. (laughs) So if you're not eating a lot of fiber and prebiotics and fibrous foods like plants and grains and beans and nuts and seeds, you're not fertilizing the good guys and you're fertilizing the bad guys. And then they grow and then they create inflammation in the body and they cause leaky gut, which creates a whole secondary set of problems.
0: I'm familiar with that, unfortunately. (laughs) I mean, and, and some of
1: the additives in food, like the emulsifiers, like carrageenan and xanthan gum and... Uh, are in the food that, that are thickeners or make them stick together. It's in a lot of health they, food. Yeah, it's in a lot of health you food. Know, and they quote, actually, right, it's true. And they all they actually cause a leaky gut. So right. they break down the barrier in your gut, which right. protects you from this sewer that's in there. You've got a sewer, you know, foreign proteins of food and bacteria. And you, you don't want that getting in your bloodstream. Well, you just want the good stuff getting in. Like food, when you eat those emulsifiers, it damages that barrier. And you end up getting this leaky gut and all this nasty stuff leaks into your bloodstream and your immune system is right there and it gets activated and creates all these inflammatory diseases, which are really all the age-related chronic diseases.
0: We'll get right back to the chat. Over the years, we've hosted Goop pop-ups in lots of different cities, and we look forward to hitting the road with you as soon as we're able to. One of my favorite spots for Goop Market is Sag Harbor in the Hamptons, where our team has spent a few summers. I love seeing how they recreate the experience of walking through a Hamptons home. There's always an unexpected element like a grand freestanding Kohler bathtub anchoring the main room. Kohler has been a natural Goop partner for a long time. They also try to create more moments for relaxation and restoration. They believe that the little things matter, like a warm bath at the end of a long day. They design products that make cleaning easy, and they optimize products and experiences that give you that greater feeling of a clean slate. Among their many home innovations, Kohler makes brilliant hands-free faucets for the kitchen. You can wash your hands or food without touching the faucet, which is especially helpful when you're cooking and juggling a few prep items at once. Right now, Kohler is particularly known and appreciated for their bidets, self-cleaning toilets, and other smart toilets that come with advanced cleansing features. You can explore their whole collection of kitchen and bath products at kohler.com slash clean. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. So I've been reading and hearing a lot about metformin. Mm. And <laughs> and I wanted to ask you, because some people are saying yes. this is a miracle drug and yes. it's anti-cancer <clears throat> yes. and it reduces insulin and yes. your proclivity for diabetes, etc. So... Where, yes. And then some people saying no.
1: Yeah, yeah. So so metformin is a drug used to treat diabetes and lower blood sugar, but helps with insulin regulation, right? In a large study that was done called the diabetes prevention trial, Pro- the dietary changes and lifestyle changes were far more effective in preventing diabetes than metformin. So, yes, insulin is the problem. Sugar and starch are the problem which drive insulin. But it's much better to fix your diet and fix your lifestyle to regular insulin than to take metformin which has potential side effects and all of the strategies for longevity that we've studied calorie restriction intermittent fasting time-restricted eating ketogenic diets fasting mimicking diets they all do the same thing they fix your insulin regulation they fix your body's ability to handle insulin and not cause all these adverse effects so i would much rather Eat between you know eleven in the morning and seven p.m. Then take a drug that does the same thing, or not really. It doesn't work as well as the lifestyle stuff. So, and I, what
0: about as a if you don't have type two diabetes as a, a longevity long, medicine?
1: Well, that's what I'm saying. I think I think there's a lot better ways to enhance longevity right. than taking a pill, which tries to mimic something you can do far better with diet and lifestyle.
0: What are some of the first things that you tell patients they come in? I mean, so many. People in our society are even even people who think they're relatively healthy and exercise yeah. and like so many of us have some of these symptoms to yeah. some degree, right? Yeah. Brain fog, fatigue. You know, we're we're eating healthy, but we're drinking coffee, or we're breaking yeah. down and having French fries and whiskey. If you're me, or whatever <laughs> the case may be. So, what are what are what are the things that you somebody you know when somebody comes in to see you? What are the kind of simple things that we can all be doing, what do you say, okay, these are the steps that you have to take first
1: to, to yeah. really change your life? I mean, it, you know, it, it's really not that hard and I'm almost embarrassed how simple it is and how I get paid to tell people such simple things, but it, it's common sense. Just eat real food, right? Michael Pollan said, eat food, not too much, mostly plants, right? That's still great advice. So I would say, you know, the first place to start is, is get rid of ultra processed food in your diet if it comes from refined flour soybean oil high fructose corn syrup if it's going to be added ingredients you don't recognize can't pronounce or you wouldn't have in your cabinet like butylated hydroxy toluene you probably shouldn't eat it right that's the first step so these are things that
0: you're going and opening plastic and sticking your hand in and eating for the most
1: part for the most part and then you and then you know you should also if you're buying foods try to support non-gmo foods because that's going to not only be better for you, but it's going to drive the market and have, you know, less of this stuff in our food. That's why kellogg Scott, got, is saying, we're going to get glyphosate out of our cereal. You know, there's more glyphosate or weed killer, which is carcinogenic and destroys your microbiome in your Cheerios than there is vitamin D and vitamin A, which are added to the cereal. <laughs> So so get rid Madness. of all that. That's the first step. And then start to eat.
0: At least they're acknowledging it and doing something about it, which is a huge, huge step forward in huge. my opinion. It's
1: huge. Yeah, and Danone is supporting regenerative agriculture. I mean, kudos or, to them yeah. because
0: it's going to take big corporations... Listening to the consumer saying, you know, we don't want this in our kids' Cheerios, and that's what makes the difference. And, you know, that's it, has a huge knock on effect in our. That's what
1: I mean. Like, it's, it's, you know, we think we're powerless, we're impotent, we can't do anything, but our choices, our votes with our fork, our votes with our wallet, make a difference and these companies are paying attention and listening the next thing you can do is start to incorporate more real food in your diet just like i don't know if you're paleo or vegan you know the truth is if you're paleo or vegan you have far more in common with each other than you do with the traditional standard american processed diet right it's like they're fighting over really small details and i jokingly you know kind of was on a conference with frank Lippman, who is more paleo another guy joel evans who is a uh, a cardiologist was a vegan and they were fighting and I was in the middle and I'm like, come on, you guys. And they're both friends of mine. I'm like, if you're paleo and you're vegan, I must be pegan. And it was just a joke. And I'm like, I Googled uh, pegan on, on, on Amazon the other day. And there was like all these books on pegan, this and pegan. Yeah, I know, you I got- started a thing. I just made it up
0: because I was like, <laughs> wait a minute. They,
1: they, they agree on everything. You should have agree- trademarked it. I know I should have, right? They agree on everything, ex- including, except you know, the animal except protein. where you get your protein right. from greens or beans or animal foods, right. all right? No dairy, whole foods, no processed ingredients, lots of vegetables, nuts and seeds, good fats, you know, just everything is the same. And, and compared to the traditional American diet, they have far more in common. So we all got to stop fighting. So you're
0: saying that if people eat real food, yeah. they immediately start to
1: feel better. Oh my God. I, I, it's a miracle, Gwyneth. I would not have believed it given my traditional medical training. When I started doing this. Right. And the dramatic changes that people see with food, it's not like it takes forever. And 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 what are we cutting out? Like I said, all the processed food. But alcohol? No, a little alcohol is fine. It's 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 in the amount, right? If you're having a bottle of wine at night, it's probably not a good idea you have a drink here and there. That
0: would be, that would be a lot, even for me. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, I, I just so struck by the shift in frame from understanding food as energy or calories to food as information to food as medicine. Right. Right. So what does that mean exactly? Well, I always say it's not like medicine. It actually is a drug. Like it, it literally affects all your biological systems. So when you eat, bad food, it turns on all the wrong mechanisms. And when you eat good food, it does the right thing. So it changes your gene expression. So it can turn on good genes if you eat whole real food that reduces inflammation. It affects your immune system. It changes your brain chemistry. It changes your hormones. It changes your microbiome. So every single bite of food does this in real time. And I I share a case study in, in, in the book I wrote called Food Fix of a woman who came to see us who was pretty far down the road with really bad chronic disease, and we think, oh, you know, once you're that far gone, you really can't do anything about it, right? You can't reverse heart failure. You can't reverse kidney failure. You can't reverse, you know, heart disease, but she came in and was was eating processed food her whole life and was 66, and she was 243 pounds with a, you know, that's severely obese, a body mass index over, over 43, over 40 is severely obese, she had heart failure. She had kidneys were failing. Her liver was going bad. Or she had high blood pressure. She had a bunch of stents. She was on lots of medication. Three days of eating very low sugar, starch, good fats, plant rich diet with, you know, regenerative razor healthy animal protein. She lost a bit of weight, but she, she got off her insulin in three days. and uh, Wow. And she got off all her medications in three months, lost 43 pounds, and and reversed her heart failure, which never happens. Reversed her kidney failure, which never happens. Her liver got better, her blood pressure got better. And in a year she lost 116 pounds and saved $20,000 a year in copay. What was her payment. I don't know what the insurance company was paying. So the the cost of this is staggering. The benefit of this is huge. And it's doable if people know what to do, they're willing to do it. Most people don't have a clue that what they're eating can make them feel bad. Like they just don't connect the dots. Even really smart people that I've seen over the years, you just don't get that how they're eating is making them feel like crap. Mm-hmm.
0: I had this crazy experience once where I went to an amazing hospital for a checkup where they kind of do everything. They put you, you know, you see the dermatologist, you yeah. get a lung x-ray, they right. do a blood like panel. Paleoclinic, one of those places, right? Yeah. Really a really reputable, great hospital. And at the end of the day, I went to see the nutritionist.
1: Yeah. Impressive. They actually had one.
0: Yeah. So that's what I thought as well. This is a while ago and she started to tell me to cook with canola oil and eat whole grain cheerios yeah, for breakfast yeah. and i was really astonished at the nutrition advice that i was being given mm-hmm. in the hospital by yep. this nutritionist yep. and and i also had you know a friend very recently who was unfortunately dealing with cancer and had to go get a PET scan Mm, and was mm. given a cup of sugar water right before because, you know, they said this will really, this makes the cancer cells really come alive.
1: That's right. Sugar uh, is what cancer eats. (laughs) So, so
0: my friend said, so does that mean that I should not be, if, if sugar is really stimulating and making the cancer cells come alive such that you can see them better, should I not be eating sugar sugar in my life? And they said, oh no, it's fine. You can eat whatever you want. It's unrelated. And this is recent.
1: Oh, I know. It's, it's shocking.
0: So my question to you is how does – so is it just like the – you know, the thousandth monkey theory where we all kind of at the same time start to come to something like how, how does, how does this kind of information slowly really make its way into the top hospitals around the world so that, such that people understand what the connection is, you know?
1: It's happening. I mean, just shows like this, your voice, other people talking about this, it's raising collective awareness and then... Now, Cleveland Clinic, where I work, they start a whole food as medicine program there.
0: That is incredible. I was reading about that. I mean, that's astonishing. Yeah,
1: it's great. And so we're having influence on changing the foods in those places. And are people...
0: For the most part, agreeing on what the rules of eating are.
1: There's again, there's there's your there's, book. There's what More. the heck
0: should I eat? Yeah,
1: food, what the heck should I eat. I think <laughs> there there generally is consensus.
0: I love that book, by the way, because <laughs> you know, I've been kind of very curious about wellness, as you know, yeah, for a course. long for many, many years. Yeah. And I was, you know, the first weirdo trying macrobotics and going yeah. to the farmer's market yeah. and doing all this stuff 25 years ago. And I have watched all of these things. It's like, eggs are the worst thing you can have. No, eggs are a miracle food. Yeah. You know, don't cook with olive oil. Only cook with olive oil. And you, it's, it is an incredibly confusing... It's so confusing. So I'm wondering sort of now, like, w- are people kind of coming to what the baseline rules are or is it going to continue to change no, all
1: I, the time? I, I, I think, you know, I had the, the principles in Food Fix about, you know, what what should I eat? The vegan approach, right? Which is kind of a joke. It's how to eat well for you and the planet. And, and the principles are things that no nutritionists would really disagree with right and, and there are things that that if we kind of except for the out, one that i saw well if well if we well that i want to talk about that in a minute but if we get out, if we get out of the sort of divisive diet wars which are often more divisive than you know muslims and jews and republicans and christians it's like even worse than that <laughs> i mean republicans and democrats and we go okay what what do we know like we know that we should all be eating whole foods fresh food no 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 argument. We all right. we all know we should be getting rid of ultra processed food. No argument except that dietitian. Right. <laughs> we we all know that we should be eating a lot of plant foods, plant rich diet. We all know that we should be eating good fats. I mean there are still a few holds out on extreme low fat diets, but for the most part the government, most academic scientists agree that we should be eating lots of olive oil, and avocados, nuts and seeds, good fats. We all agree that we should be eating whole grains and beans, not Everybody agrees about, but but most well, people agree. Well, some people
0: there's the lectin thing. Yeah, there,
1: there's lectins, and if you don't cook it right, and if you eat a lot of gluten or whatever, dairy is, I think, a challenge. I think we should probably be eating heirloom dairy or sheep and goat dairy because the modern dairy is very inflammatory.
0: And why is that? There's different casein and right. So and so we same. you know,
1: like I said, food is information. So as we bred cows to be all the same, we bred out a lot of the traditional heirloom cows. And the heirloom cows had something called A2 casein, which is a not so much an irritant to the immune system and doesn't bother the digestion as much and isn't as much of a problem. Whereas A1 casein is the kind that's mostly in our dairy, which does cause all the problems. And then there's the whole issue of the pasteurization, homogenization of food versus raw milk, which is what we all used to drink, which was much more better tolerated, has profoundly different effects. There was a cat study in the 30s called the Pottinger studies. There was a doctor who wanted to see what happened when you, when you take all this processing we do. and there, He was just processing of milk. It wasn't even like what we're eating now. And he gave these cats processed milk, basically homogenized and pasteurized milk, compared to cats who had raw milk and followed them over generations. And after the f- mm-hmm. fourth generation, they couldn't reproduce on the... Regular milk. Wow. Yeah. And, and, they, and they are health degraded. And when they swapped them out, they were able to bring them back. So it was really fascinating. So I think everybody sort of agrees. If we're eating animals, you don't have to. But if you're eating animals, probably they should be raised regeneratively, which, which is a way of growing food that regenerates the soil. Conserves water, increases biodiversity, pollinators. I'm very
0: passionate about
1: that. Yeah, it's a it's a really big thing, and very few people know about it. It's like less than 10% of the population. But Amazon, Whole Foods just announced it was the, one of the biggest important trends. Yeah. yeah, and Danone and General Mills committing farmers to change over, helping pay for their farmers to convert from conventional to regenerative ag. There's a real movement around this now. A movie coming out, kiss the ground. Is amazing. Uh, of course, I'm in mean it, but <laughs> but it's it's a great movie about how we have to regenerate the soil as to yeah. solve so many of our problems. So everybody kind of agrees on these principles. You can debate the animal non animal thing, but but I think for the most part those principles are universal. And and the more we lean towards those, the better we're going to be. And it doesn't have to be the perfect organic regenerative diet. If you're you know don't have a lot of money and you can't afford super you know sort of fancy regenerative grass fed beef, you could just swap out processed food for whole foods. And I did this with a family in South Carolina, one of the worst food deserts in America. They lived in a trailer family of five on disability, food stamps, very overweight. Father was 42 on dialysis from kidney failure. I mean, from diabetes (laughs) at 42. And the son was practically diabetic at 16. I showed them how to cook a simple meal at home from simple ingredients and they figured out how to do it. I gave them a guide on how to eat well for less. And they did it, and they lost 200 pounds as a family. The son ended up losing 50, but then gained it all back So he went to work at Bojangles, which he said was like putting a alcoholic to work in a bar. <laughs> <laughs> and and eventually, he kind of figured it out, and I helped him, and he lost 138 pounds. and And uh, asked me for a letter of recommendation for medical school, as now in medical school.
0: Oh, my God. It's yeah. such a great story. It's a
1: great story. So people can do it. It's just it's just a little a little more challenging, but it, I think as we start to reflect the real cost of food and the price we pay, if we start to look at actually the benefits that are being like so there there are farmers now being paid for creating soil, for creating more water conservation, for increasing pollinator species, and and that will incentivize farmers to actually make more of these foods. The reason your nutritionist, by the way, was recommending Cheerios and canola oil was because of the co-optation by the food industry of academic societies and professional societies. So the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, which is the main nutritionist association, 40% of their money comes from the food industry. They fund all kinds of research. They fund 12 times as much research as the government on nutrition with studies that show that candy is a great weight loss strategy for kids. No joke. (laughs) That soda is not related to obesity that milk is nature's perfect food. I mean, there's just study after study that pollutes the science and confuses the public and confuses scientists and doctors. And, and in the academy's annual meeting, they have prohibited pictures in the exhibit hall. Why? Because they don't want anybody to see the garbage that they're promoting of processed food at the academy. <laughs> it's pretty frightening. That's mind-blowing. Yeah, it's mind-blowing. <laughs> And what was even scarier was that there was a runoff for president of the academy. And this one woman, Neva Cochran, had been working for the food industry for years, for McDonald's and Coke. And, and she posted a tweet showing a cheerleader graphic from the 50s. And it says, you know, Jenny's a cheerleader. You know, she's busy all day. Jenny needs a sugarless drink like a beetle needs a hairpiece. Two, four, six, eight. What do we appreciate? Sugar. And then she posted this saying, you know, calorie needs are personal. Kids can get their calories from soda and this and that. And like... Wow. Yeah. And 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 she was going to be the president of the association until a few nutritionists there found out and they outed her and they kind of made a big stink and she didn't get elected. But I mean, that's, that's how bad it is. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you bring up, you know, the systemic issue that we have in this country around money and industry really shaping policy and Mm -hmm. therefore the way that consumers think about things there it's you know you see it our government has a
1: co-opted yeah it's so true
0: it's it's really unbelievable so was that part of the impetus for writing food fix
1: yeah totally so so as, as i began to see how as a doctor do I have to heal my patients? I can't do it in my office anymore, in the clinic or the hospital. I have to fix the food system. And well, you then... still have to do that. Well, I but... still do that. I still do that. I still do that. But, but I realize that no, in want to really... reach a wider yeah. swath of and people. Yeah, and so, so I, I began to go this rabbit hole, and Washington it seems like a, you know, sinkhole. But it's really clear to me that there's ways to actually have an impact. And so the reason I wrote Food Fix was to call out these issues, to educate people. And we've started a campaign called the Food Fix Campaign. And you can find out more about it at foodfix.org. It's a nonprofit. And we all start a lobby group because all the bad guys lobby, but the good guys don't lobby. Great so, point. Right? So we're, we're actually trying to educate lawmakers about these issues and, and institute policies that start to move the needle to get things to change, right? So to support regenerative agriculture, to get food as medicine into our policies, to reform Medicare, Medicaid, to pay for food as medicine and things like that. So it's really an exciting movement and we're, we're launching it probably in May or June. And I think uh, everybody's coming on board. We've got donors, celebrities, uh, scientists, C-suite guys. That's great. I mean, I've been talking to the heads of food companies. So it's really interesting to see that people are really ready for this. So that's really why I wrote the book because I, I couldn't keep quiet about it anymore. I had to sort of tell the story, and and it was a rabbit hole I went down where the connections were just between everything, right? So, yes, bad food causes chronic disease and kills 11 million people a year, but it also cripples our economy around Medicare, and Medicaid, and and the cost of that. It it causes social injustice because kids can't even learn in school. The CDC produced a report on nutrition and academic performance. It was I saw frightening. That. Yeah. and the and the national security issues are huge. And let
0: alone the. Water issues, the metals and the water, yeah. in some of these, yeah, disenfranchised. It's true, populations. like lead in
1: Flint, Michigan, and it's, yeah, it's pretty bad. And
0: everywhere I've been reading about it recently, it's 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 criminal to me that our public drinking water is in certain neighborhoods actually hazardous.
1: It is. It is. I mean, I, I had a woman on my podcast, the doctor's pharmacy, called uh, Harriet Washington. I think uh, the book was called "A Terrible Thing to Waste." It was about environmental racism. Yes, uh, which is a real thing. And I think the so, so the the intersection of food and all these things, even national security, where seventy percent of military recruits are unfit to fight because they're obese or they're bad teeth or they you know haven't been able to have graduated high school because their diet mm-hmm. and poor diet. And, and and then even climate change and environmental issues. I mean, food industry is the biggest cause of climate change, our whole food mm-hmm. system, from deforestation, to factory farming of animals, to food waste, to soil destruction, all of it. So, you know, the good news is that if food system caused all that, it can actually fix all that. And and there's a lot of efforts going on around the country, and we're trying to coordinate those and focus them into a, a strategic movement that actually moves the needle on state and local and and federal governments. Yeah. It's crazy but I'm doing it.
0: <laughs> I mean it's amazing and it it's inspiring and you know as you said it's it it takes somebody like you who also has frankly your credentials and your experience and your you know years and years with patients and yeah. <laughs> you know it's 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 and it's brave because you know there is a lot of resistance to changing systems, especially systems that are super profitable sure. and people don't like to welcome ideas that are going to impact their bottom line yeah. and their ways of life or right. their stock price. And I think, you know, luckily for you, you know, that you're, you're spearheading this, you're one of the the doctors spearheading the movement, but you know, at the same time, it's, um, you know, I, I I really commend you because it does. It's it's brave.
1: Yeah, but you know what's interesting is that the the economic imperatives are so great that people are going to have to act, not because yeah. it's morally right or because they want people to be healthy, but because governments around the world, especially this government, is crippling it itself under the burden of chronic disease caused by food and mm-hmm. through Medicare, Medicaid, and all the other things, and and, and these big companies are starting to realize that they need to change. And mm-hmm. I see that happening. And I, so I'm kind of inspired that actually, that there will be a few resistors, right? There's a couple of companies that may not really be getting on board, like the fertilizer companies or the agricultural chemical companies or the seed companies, but the food industry is getting on board, you know, healthcare industry is getting on board. Businesses in general are getting on board because their companies are crippled by the cost. Uh, Warren Buffett said that healthcare is a tapeworm of of business, I mean, General Motors spends more on health care than on steel. Starbucks spends more on health care than on coffee beans. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of C-suite people. We've got the Business Roundtable now saying that the value of a company should be based not just on what it provides for the shareholders, but the stakeholders, which are its customers and everybody else. Yeah. Uh, Larry Fink wrote a letter to the CEOs of the world. He's the biggest money manager in the world saying we need to actually focus on climate change in all of our actions because of the economic imperative if we don't it's going to destroy our businesses so it's not because it's a you know altruistic feel good you know moral compass that's driving it it's the economics that are driving it and I think that's a good thing
0: yeah i i don't disagree i think whatever it takes at this point right yeah so before i let you go
1: I'll stay all day don't <laughs> <know>. <laughs>
0: So I think you know, it's pretty clear what the key takeaways are in terms of what what we can be doing to help our own mm-hmm. systems to function yeah. better, our yeah. own immune systems, our our yeah. hearts, you know, our in our families. Like it's it's pretty it's 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 kind of a no brainer. Yeah. What are the things that we can be doing to help push forward this movement of food?
1: Yes, great. Uh, so in, in my book, Food Fix, I have a an, a lot of action steps. It's not called food apocalypse. It's called food fix. <laughs> and, and on my website, foodfixbook.com, I have a food fix action guide that are one of the 20 top actions you can take as an individual. What can businesses do? What can governments do? And I, I think it's at the beginning of a conversation. It's not all the ideas out there that are great. It's some of them. And, and the basic things are similar to what I said because you can move the markets by changing your choices. Mm-hmm. Get rid of ultra processed food. Eat more whole foods. If you can, seek out regenerative foods. For example, become a vegetarian And it can be vegetables or, or animals. Uh, there's a, a ranch called Mariposa Ranch where you can buy regeneratively raised beef directly from the rancher, which is about $8 a pound or about $2 a serving, right? which is less than a McDonald's hamburger. Uh, you can buy non-GMO foods, like I said, to help move the market. Those all will help. And then you can do simple things in your community like you know, start composting, right? Compost sounds like a weird thing, but we throw out a third to a 40% of our food at a cost of about $1,800 for a family of four, a pound a day per person in America, and it's the third biggest cause of climate change if it were a country after the U.S. and China, and it costs about $2 of wasted resources. It just uses up land the size of China to grow all that food that we throw in the garbage. And when it goes to the landfill, it rots and creates methane. So having a little compost bucket in your kitchen, having a compost pile in your backyard, or you know, if you live in an apartment, you can have this in, in apartment composter. So they don't smell. You can give it to the local farmers market. Those are simple things you can do if you're.
0: And what goes in the compost bucket?
1: Food scraps, like not not meat and not bones and things like that, but vegetables. But eggshells. Eggshells can go in. Coffee grounds. Coffee grounds, yeah coffee grounds and and uh all can these... can refined or fr- processed i probably wouldn't put in no i would probably wouldn't put no in flour. cheetos I put in no cheetos, cheetos. <laughs> damn it you could put in flour what about right? funions in... Funyuns? i don't even know what <laughs> <Yeah>. those are <laughs> i'm out of the loop on that one but
0: you don't remember Funyuns? it was like that was my favorite snack when i was a kid it no. was like like a it was meant to be an onion ring, but like in a potato chip form. Oh, God. No. Oh, man. I oh. love those things. <laughs> of course
1: you did. Because <laughs> they're made to be addictive. Yeah. So that's really important. You can start a community garden. You can become active if you're a parent, for example. And what do we
0: do with compost, by the way? Because so, so, I have a compost that I don't know what to do with it.
1: I mean, you have it in your backyard? Yeah. So if you have- On Long
0: Island, I have a compost and I-
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I have one that I've had for 40 I have it in my back for the last backyard for the last 20 years. I just throw my food scraps all the time in there. And it- Kind of turns into soil, so you can put it on your garden. If you don't need it, you can donate give it to, to a local farmer, yep. give it to friends, and it's the most rich, nutrient dense soil you could get. And I'm going
0: to recommit to my composting. Yeah,
1: I mean, in, in, for example, in San Francisco, where they where they actually have a mandated composting system, they they compost everything, they create huge amounts of compost in the city, and then they give it to ranchers. And farmers. And in this one study of a regenerative ranch in California, they put it all over the ranch, and the amount of soil carbon went dramatically high, and they had sequestered so much carbon out of the environment, so it's reversing climate change. People say, you can't reverse it. We just have to slow it. You actually can reverse it, and using compost and regenerative agriculture will do that. So those are simple things. If you're a parent and you're disgusted with your kids are eating at school, you can make a difference. And A friend of mine in Boston helped put a real kitchen in a school in inner-city Boston demonstrated that by hiring a top chef, creating delicious menus that the kids would eat that she could do within the school nutrition and the school budget guidelines that kids ate it and they didn't waste it and they got healthier and more focused. And and it's such a simple thing. Yeah. So there are models of how to do this and there's a lot of examples of how to get involved. You can become politically active. You know, people are so apathetic, but there's a great online nonprofit called food where you can see what your congressmen and senators are voting like. Mm. And if they're bad actors and, you can vote them out. And then they create a social media campaign that, that outed two congressmen for their bad behavior on food and ag policy. So we, we actually do make a difference. Uh, and I think we should vote with our wallet, vote with our fork, vote with our voice, vote with our vote, it matters.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for joining my chat with Dr. Mark Hyman. To learn more, head to goop.com slash podcast or drhyman.com. That's H-Y-M-A-N. And be sure to pick up a copy of his excellent new book, Food Fix. That's a wrap on today's episode. If you have a second, please rate, review, and hit subscribe if you haven't already. Don't forget to share the Goop podcast with a friend. And in the meantime, for more, you can check out goop.com slash the podcast.